Good morning, everybody. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something to take notes with this morning. <clears throat> Anybody else still getting over sickness or have sick family or something? You're going to have to excuse me as I might cough my way through this, but we're going to be okay. A few more of you showed up than was at the beginning. I was like, my, it did not look like this since July of 2020. <laughs> Remember the four of us that were in here together? That was terrible. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles and something to take notes with this morning. Open up to uh, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. Get myself all situated here. Welcome to the fourth Sunday morning of Advent. It's been fun to celebrate Advent intentionally this year as a church, kind of for the first time in, in the traditional sense. I don't know if it has been a new experience for you or maybe sort of a throwback seeing something like this in church, this Advent wreath, but I know that I've really enjoyed it. Uh, Heather had some uh, Advent candles at our house. One of them burned all the way down, so we got to get longer lasting ones next year. But you learn as you go, right? So Advent is the season that is leading up to Christmas. The word Advent is a Latin word speaking of arrival, and it is a season of celebration and a season of anticipation as we lead up to Christmas, which is finally tomorrow. Are the elves excited? All right, wait, super excited. Um, we are celebrating the arrival of Christ. We talked about the first week of Advent, you know, how tradition is a great thing as long as you remember why you're doing it. Otherwise, traditions get old and crusty when you don't know why exactly are we doing this thing we always do. But we celebrate Advent because we are celebrating the arrival of Christ, that he came, that he comes to us every day, and we anticipate his arrival and at his return. We are so thankful to celebrate the fact that Jesus came. We are excited about the reality that he comes to us every day. And we also, in this season, we embrace the tension, the anticipation of waiting. Christmas, in so many ways, is a season of waiting. I know it is for my kids. They have been waiting and waiting and waiting to see who's going to get the biggest gift, who's going to get the heaviest gift. Uh, but my mom was trying to inform them yesterday especially my girls, she said, the best gifts come in small packages. So they haven't learned that one yet, but we'll see. It's a season of waiting, and we embrace that waiting as we look to the return of Christ. We have been doing the Advent wreath and lighting these candles. I heard that John had some trouble with it last week, so we'll see if it gives me trouble this week or not. But so each of these candles represents something different that we celebrate in Advent. The first week was the week of hope. We celebrate the arrival of hope into our lives as Christ comes at his birth. The second week, Patrick Poore talked to us about peace, the arrival of peace, the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Ooh. Diego saw me practice this earlier, just like John did last week. I will not be defeated. <laughs> Seriously. There we go. Praise the Lord. Oh, he came. He is the Prince of Peace. The demon's trying to keep us from celebrating Jesus this Christmas. I won't stand for it. Not even for a second. 
<laughs> and then last week, oh, we got the hidden one back here. Uh, John shared with us about joy. We got the new color last week, the pink candle, that uh, Jesus brings joy. The gospel is, in fact, good news that brings great joy and is for all the people. Amen? We are so thankful that Jesus came for all people, even the people that are difficult to be with around Christmas time. Jesus brings joy. And this morning, we celebrate the fourth week. We celebrate that, uh, we celebrate love. Love. Love wants to burn this Christmas. Praise the Lord. So go ahead and stand for the reading of the Word of God. From 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. First John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this Advent season. And we thank you that you are love and that it comes from you. We thank you for the opportunity to celebrate the arrival of love this morning. Thank you that you are here with us. Pray that you would open up your word to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that our hearts and our minds and our lives would be open to hear from you and receive you. We pray that we would love one another in this season of celebrating you, that you would teach us your love for us and that we would freely and generously give your love to those around us. Would you come and teach us and guide us and train us in your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Maybe the worst attitude a person could possibly have towards love is an attitude of entitlement, right? Nothing's going to make you want to snatch back that gift you just gave tomorrow. Like the person being like, yeah, I deserve that. You really should have gotten that for me. That really takes the fun out of love. Really takes the spice out of love. It really takes the joy out of love when somebody is completely entitled, thinking that, you know, of course you gave me that act of love. I'm me, after all. I deserve it. You ought to have given me what you just gave me. You owe it to me. On the other hand, there is little more endearing than when somebody authentically accepts the love that you give them. It's the best when you show an act of love to somebody, you give them something, you spend time with them, you do one of the five love languages for them that means the most to them, and they really receive it. And you can tell it lands, you can tell it hits, 
and they're thankful for it and they appreciate it. It's the best when you show somebody love and you see the person really experience the love that you were trying to give them. You know, you were trying to do something because it meant a lot to you. And then when it means a lot to them, this is fun. This is fun. It makes you want to love them even more. It makes you want to give them even more love. It, it's fun when they receive it, when they believe the love that you're trying to give to them, when, you, when they appreciate it. There's sort of this humble modesty that makes somebody so endearing to love. It's like they didn't think they were owed the love, but there isn't this self-rejection thing like, oh, I could never be loved. This thing in the middle there where, wow, you didn't have to do that, but I really do believe that you think I'm worth loving, and I appreciate that. One danger that we have of living in our kind of Christian, post-Christian, whatever has somebody might have to say about that, Christian, post-Christian culture is that we uh, are in danger of taking the love of God for granted. We're in danger of being very entitled about the love of God. In our world that is so Christian and in some ways trying to move on from Christianity, it's not just normal to believe that God does love you. It's actually kind of normal to believe that God ought to love you. Like he has a responsibility to love you. He has an obligation to love you because you, after all, are you. And he's God and God is love. So that means God has to love you. And that means he really should love you the way that you think he ought to love you, which is to definitely not like ever correct you. That'd be terrible. Definitely not judge you. Definitely not ask, ask you to change or definitely not rebuke you or do anything like that because God is love and he loves you. And so he supports you and empowers you and, and approves of everything about you. This is what has become normal in our culture and our perception and understanding of not just the fact that God does love us, but what his love for us actually is and what it looks like and what it means for us. This sense of entitlement towards the love of God is what I've heard some describe as a Christian heresy. A Christian heresy. What, what that means is that it's like it's a, it's a heresy that can only exist having been birthed out of a Christian idea. What that means, what I'm trying to say there is the, the idea that God would even love us at all is an entirely Christian idea. It takes that Christian truth before you could then morph it into something that we ought to be or that we are entitled to. The idea that we are owed God's love has only morphed from the truth that God really actually does love us. And this and, and he, he does love us and he manifests his love to us, like scripture says this morning. See, the Bible teaches us, we read this morning, that God is love. And that doesn't really shake any of us. That doesn't really capture us in any novel sense because we're so used to that. We're so used to the idea that God is love. But 
This is a radical and uniquely Christian idea. And I think that's valuable to understand. It's valuable to understand that we are not entitled to this truth, even though it is the truth. See, there is no other, <coughs> there is no other religion from any time on earth or from any corner of the earth that has claimed or does claim to have a God or gods that expresses love in any sort of sense that we believe God loves us. There is no other a religion or person or place claiming that God is love in this sort of sacrificial, genuine, servant-hearted, authentic sense of love. This is an absurd idea in so many ways. It's absurd in the sense that there's only like one group of people that really believe it. That's us. This idea that God is real and he is love. Now there's, of course, everybody has an idea of love and there are gods of love, but those, those, those gods, the, of the gods of the Greeks or of the Far East or the ancient Near East or the indigenous peoples of pick your continent, though there may be gods who speak of love or give love, it's, it's not in the way that love actually comes from that God. Love is something outside of those gods that maybe these gods act out or participate. But if you get into their actions of love, it's not the stuff we're talking about. It's at best the romantic and usually more the erotic type of love that we're talking about in these other religions. This is a crazy idea. Islam sort of talks about Allah giving love towards people. But again, there's no idea of this. There's no, there's no idea that love itself is in, in Allah and it is manifest from him. This is a wild proposition that God shares with us in his word. This is an insane, unique, beautiful revelation. In 1 John 4, verses 7 through 11, let us love one another for love, not just romantic love, not just sexual love, not just even kindness, but love. Like all that love is, is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Christianity has so well saturated our culture and our history and our norms and our beliefs that it has even saturated our heresies. Even to the point that in a culture and in our world and in our country that is in so many ways trying to move on from God, we are holding on to his love. We are holding on to this idea that love is real, that love is powerful, that love is strong, that love is owed. This is a fascinating thing. But during Advent, we light the love candle and we remember, no, you cannot move on from God and keep your love. 
You cannot have anyone other than the one true God and have love. During Advent, we remember (coughs) that God is love and love comes from God. All of the commercialization of Christmas can get a pretty bad reputation. Have you heard anybody get on a soapbox yet this season about the commercialization of Christmas, the distraction? And okay, there's some validity to that criticism of us and our distractions, maybe, as sometimes at Christmas. But if there is one essential act of love, it is giving. If there is one thing that love must do, it is give. And all of the gift giving at Christmas that maybe you've started to partake in already or you're about to participate in over the next 24 hours is really a reflection of God's love for us. It's a participation in God's love for us and for one another. It's a reflection of God's love for us and God's love for the people around us. Every time you see somebody give a gift this Christmas, God is revealing himself to the world. Every time you receive a gift this Christmas, God is revealing his love to you. Every time you give a gift this Christmas, you are participating in God loving another person, in God demonstrating his love to the world, because you're giving, and love gives, and love is only from God. We reflect in this season that God is love, and in this love was manifest that God gave That God gave his only son that we might live through him. God is love and God has given himself to us. We celebrate during the Advent season. We celebrate God giving his love to us when he came. 1 John 4 says it so plainly. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world. We celebrate the birth of Christ this Christmas. We celebrate that God has given his love to us in the fact that he came. God demonstrates his love for us, that he came. He didn't just come, though. He came as one of us. That is a staggering act of love. That not only would God give himself, but he would take on the very nature of a man. I'm so glad that God came, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. In Matthew chapter 1, we learn the name, one of the names of Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. God shows his love for us in this. He makes it manifest in that he is God with us. Not God far off, not God at a distance, but Emmanuel, God with us. With us, not just as a spirit or as a being who is almighty God, but also he is with us as one of us. When he comes, he comes as one of us. He comes as a man in his birth, being born of a woman. Hebrews 4 15 says that it is this reality 
that God would give himself to us as one of us, that allows him to be one who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Temptation is terrible, isn't it? Isn't it? Don't you hate it? It's like the worst, having to deal with it all the time in a thousand different directions. I hate having to deal with temptation. It's a miserable experience. I don't enjoy it. It's not fun. And I like fun. Like my son, who's six. The only things that should exist in the world are fun things. <laughs> Temptation is not fun. It's, it's terrible. It, it's, it's a miserable thing. But God has manifest his love for us. That he took on our own nature and faced in every respect the temptations that we face. How with us is Emmanuel? That with us. That, that with you. That, that's how with you, God is with you. He took on our very nature that experiences and faces temptation with such reality and authenticity that he knows what it is. He knows what it is to face temptation and conquer it and yet still be without sin. Jesus loved you so much that he came and became familiar with even that struggle and even that fight that we live through. Christ took on your nature so as to know what it's like to face temptation and then he beat temptation to give you an example, to show you the way out, to lead you forward in the midst of struggle and pain and strife. He, he became like us in our suffering. He became like us in our suffering. God himself took on the nature of humanity and faced temptation. He faced suffering. He stepped into our suffering, and then he did it so perfectly that it's like he almost basically transformed the nature of suffering so that now, when I suffer, I get to know him in his suffering. He knew me in my suffering so that now in my suffering, I get to know him in his suffering. This is the love of God. This is the love of God. Philippians 3 verse 10 says this. Paul's praying. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, death itself has been transformed into something by which I now have access into intimacy with God. Woo! Because God came. 
and he took on our very nature. Because he came, because he suffered, because he was tempted, your temptations and your sufferings are not meaningless. They're not meaningless. They're valuable. Your suffering is worth something. It means something. It's an opportunity for fellowship with God. And you have for your sufferings an eternal weight of glory waiting for you that you will inherit as a gift and reward from this man, Jesus, in the end. This is the love of God for you. This is what it means that he came. This is what it means that he came as one of us. I'm so thankful for this. Oh God, please don't let me think you owed that to me. You know, like, I think probably my least favorite thing about me is that I'm a human. It's so annoying. It's so annoying. So many limitations, so many weaknesses, just feel like I'm bumbling along sometimes. And God took on that weakness. And he knows what it is to live every day in limitation. The almighty God understands the wrestle of having to deal with the fact that the world's so much bigger than you. And you can't do everything at once and be everything at once and be everywhere at once and pull everything off in your own strength. John verse 16, or John chapter 16, verse 7. This is wild to me. Like, I think it would just be better for everybody that I'm like responsible to and for if I wasn't such a human. Like, it'd be my wife would have a better husband. Right, if I was perfect, right? Wouldn't that just be better? My, my kids would have a better dad. You'd have a better pastor. My friends would have better friends. Like, it just, you know, that's how my brain works. I feel like that would be better. And I get so frustrated by that. Do you know the frustration I'm talking about? John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In this verse, the man Jesus is speaking to his disciples and is demonstrating for us what it looks like for a man to be content and satisfied and at peace in the grace of God. Jesus, the son of God, saying, you know, I can't be for you everything that you need like this. And he was actually okay with that. He didn't, he, he experienced the weakness of just being one man. He, that, that's why Jesus is saying this. I'm just one man. It's, it's better for you that you have the Holy Spirit. I know it's trippy, but it's what he's saying. As a man, he, he understands that he has limitations. He can't satisfy everything it is 
in God's heart for his disciples in the flesh that he's in. So he's going to send them the Holy Spirit. But he's not freaking out about it. He knows God's got it, which means he's got it. He knows that God's strength is made perfect in weakness. The strength of God, that he knows. God's, God's will baptize, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And there's something about that that only happens out of the sort of, we might be able to say, weakness of Jesus being a man. He knows how to step into your flesh, your limited, incapable flesh, and wrestle to the point where you find peace in the magnitude of God. He took on the very nature of a servant, the struggle of dealing with human weakness. It's amazing. He understood that it was better for him to go away so that he could send the helper. But he never wrestled with the fact that that made him inferior or inadequate or not enough. He understood that God's grace was always enough. He knew it wasn't a reflection of his weakness, but of the grace of God. Jesus knows what it is to wrestle, to have to wrestle to find peace in this life. Why on earth would God take on that wrestle? But for love. But for love. He loves you so much that he came and he even took on that fight that you live with every day. He loves you so much that he took on your nature so that he might sympathize with you in your most human struggles. We celebrate in this season God giving his love for us when he comes. He comes to us. Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us while we were sinners. And then in this, we celebrate the arrival of the love of God every day. Every day you're saved, God is showing you his love for you. And that's today. So you need to know today, God loves you. He loves you. He loved you. Talk about an act of love, this act of giving. That life that he took on when he came, he gave up so that he can always come. So cool. But this wasn't just one act and one time. Romans 5, 1 through 5, before these verses that we just read, says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Do you see how everything we just talked about makes all of this stuff possible? Justified by faith, peace with God through Christ, access by faith into this grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Do you see that your struggles aren't meaningless, that they're not valueless? Verse 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is how God loves you every day over and over and over again as he comes and he comes and he comes and he comes. He, He did demonstrate his love for you by dying for you while you are still a sinner, and now he pours his love into you every day by pouring himself into you, into your heart, by the Holy Spirit. How with you is God? That with you. That with you. We talked about this several months ago, that one of the proper names for the Holy Spirit is love. Like, God's love that he pours out into your heart isn't just like a feeling or a thing. We believe that God pours himself because he is love. See, I told you about these other gods. There may be a concept in other religions that God might do a loving thing or give love to a person, but that is so different than God giving him his very self. He can't can't give you his love outside of giving you his own self. And he's been poured out into our hearts by love, with a capital L, the name of God, the Holy Spirit. His love isn't just something he does for you or owes you. His love is his very own person. How much does God love you? He loves you every day and comes to you such that you are never alone. We celebrate in this season that God loves you and God is with you. And we celebrate that God will give his love to us when he comes again. A great consummation of love. Revelation uses this picture of the wedding feast to talk about the return of the Lord Jesus, the unifying of the saints with God, the marriage of the bride and the lamb, the bridegroom inheriting his bride, us inheriting the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Revelation 22, verses one through five says this, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. 
They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. I don't really know what else there is to say about that other than, wow. I feel like trying to talk about it too much will just diminish it. It's more something we just need to think on and get marinated in. You about to feast today, tonight or tomorrow? Something marinated? I am. It's got nothing to do with anything. I'm just excited about that. But this is the, the arrival of God, the love, this God who is love being all of the light that is needed. I, I just love that. He is faithful. This is what we're longing for in this Advent season as we embrace the truth of his love as he came, the truth of his love as he comes, and we embrace the longing for the arrival of his love when he comes again. He loves you so much that he will show himself faithful, the conqueror of everything that needs to be conquered, and he will establish his kingdom and invite you in to reign with him and in him forever and ever as you step into his inheritance. God loves you so much that you are not like a placeholder that he'll get rid of at some point. You are an inheritor with him of his very eternal kingdom. This is the love of God. One of the best things I said at the beginning about best attitudes to have towards love is to actually receive it. And actually be thankful for it. And so we're going to take just a few minutes here as we wrap up to receive the love of God. So I want you to get out something you can write with, if you haven't already. And as the band plays for just a second, before we move on, we're going to take a minute here. And we're going to just... Remember something or, or a few things that God has given you over the course of this last year. And we're going to be thankful for that because that's the best response to somebody loving you is to receive it and be thankful. And if we want to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we have to remember that love comes from God. The only way that I can love him is to receive his love for me. The great act of loving God flows from being loved by God. And so you can write this on your page, at the top of your page. God, thank you for showing me your love this year by giving me, I think I, think I typed that wrong up there, but you get what I'm saying. Thank you for showing me your love this year by giving me. And I'm going to be quiet for a second, but I want you to really engage this fact that this isn't just a list of like, oh, I'm grateful that I have this and that and the other thing. 
we get to specifically thank God for it. Because every good thing that you have, every good thing you've accepted, everything good, every good thing you've experienced this year has been God loving you. How beautiful is that? I'm just gonna be quiet for a second and I want you to just think with the Lord and write down with this attitude of thanks specifically to God, God, thank you for loving me this year by giving me special to remember that everything you're writing down wasn't just a nice thing. It was an actual gift from the real God who really loves you. And the next thing that we're going to do is participate in the second great commandment, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. When God gives us his love, it's only right to love him back with it which is what you just did by thanking him for what all the ways he loved you. And it's natural to give it away. So I'm going to be quiet again, but I want you to write at least just one thing. Maybe you'll switch to your text messages on your phone right now. I don't know. Maybe you'll just make a note right now and follow through on it later. But I want you to think about a person who has been a gift to you this year. Brian McGuckin already did this this morning. He walked up to me before service and started thanking me for being in his life. And he literally said, you've been a, you're a gift to me and my family. And I was like, bro, you've been reading my notes? <laughs> do, but do exactly that. You're going to give that love to somebody else and celebrate somebody specifically, not just that you love them, but that they are a gift of God to you because every time that you have or do experience love from another person 
That is the love of God. Whether that person does it in the name of God or not, because love comes from God. And every time you experience love from your friend, from your spouse, from your children, from your neighbor, from your sister, from your brother, you tasted God's love for you. That person was a gift. So I want you to think right now, just so-and-so, you have been a gift to me by this. Tell them how they were a gift to you. stand as we wrap up our time together. Our prayer team is going to be up here at the front to pray for you if you need any prayer in your life. You can come and get what you need. I'm going to pray for us as we worship one more song together that the love of God would be received by us this year and that we would give it with that same generosity. Lord, we're so thankful to celebrate the arrival of your love into our lives and into our world. We pray that you would give us hearts to receive this season, the truth and the reality of your great love for us. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would allow us to pour out your love to the world around us. Lord, for anybody in the room who is having a hard time receiving your love, we pray that you would soften their heart and give them revelation. We pray for the relationships that we have that may be hard to love. Lord, would you soften our hearts and give us your love? We appreciate you. We recognize you. We don't take you for granted this morning. We're here to say thank you. Thank you for your love. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together.